city to, to be able to, to share the word with you again uh, with Boylston Church and JP, uh, CTK JP Roxbury. Um, today, I do have the privilege of finishing out the book of Galatians with you. So this is the end. It, it seems like it's been a while. And, and honestly, as I was thinking about this, I think this could actually have been a tough book to read during COVID. During this time uh, when everyone's a little bit more stressed, uh, we have less distractions around us, and in some ways we have a little bit more time to reflect on our own lives. Because if you'll remember back to the very beginning of Galatians, this is not a very happy letter. This is not a, hey, just wanted to check in and see how things are going letter. This is not a, you know, what's up, heard about you guys and everything's going great letter. This is a letter that Paul is writing to the Galatian church because they were struggling. There was fighting, there was ethnic tensions, uh, there was false teaching about God and about how we are made right with God. It was messy, and Paul was writing to straighten things out, right? He was, he was actually pretty harsh. He wasn't happy, and he put forward a forceful reproach of what was happening there. Uh, and so naturally, studying a letter like this uh, that is so bold and convicting and can and probably should make us consider our own shortcomings today. Where have we believed the wrong things about God? Where have we been divided in a church? Where and how are we falling short of God's intentions for us? Uh, and this, this, I believe, is why it could have been difficult to study this letter during this time. Because when we are quarantined with ourselves, or maybe just a, a couple people with us, uh, our shortcomings become a lot more clear, right? Our relationships with others, whether this is our coworkers, our spouses, our kids, our parents, our roommates, they may be showing more strain and even division. Uh, and even as a church, this can amplify ways that we feel like other members and even leaders themselves can fail us or we failed them. But today, as we end Paul's letter to the Galatians, and I'm going to read the text in just a moment, I hope that you will find encouragement in this passage. And I pray that God will meet you through the words of this text. So uh, let's read here. You can see the words on your screen or turn, or turn uh, in your own Bibles uh, and read along with this. This is Galatians 6, verses 6 to 18. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would do your work today. We pray that you would meet us here, that you would teach us, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, and that you would comfort us where we need peace. We thank you that you will do this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. So, I'm going to start with a confession. I hate gardening. See, I grew up as an army brat, which means my dad was in the military. My dad was in the, in the army. And so we moved about every three years. When I was in first grade, we moved to Alabama. And, and it was there that I grew to hate gardening. <laughs> because there, gardening meant that I was dragged along in the sweltering heat of an Alabama day to go and weed and water and harvest and mostly my parents did the work trying to make things grow from this dense red Alabama clay, right? And so I grew to hate gardening at the time. But of course, I married someone who loves gardening. My wife, Sarah, is a gardener. So back in January, uh, if you can remember back that far, right, she bought packets and packets of seed. And if you were to come to our house in the spring, uh, you yourself would not get very much sunshine because in front of most of our sunny windows were trays of seeds planted in soil. And so she, she planted these seeds back in January. And she doesn't just plant like normal things like tomatoes and lettuce and watermelon. She plants things with fancy names that you don't normally hear about, like atomic tomatoes. I'm writing, I wrote these down. Dragon eggs cucumber, uh, monster peppers, walking stick kale that grows to be six feet high, and moon and stars watermelon, which is so named because it is covered with white speckles and has one large white spot, moon and stars, All right? And I have to admit that every year during those late, some, late winter months and into the spring, I am doubtful. I am doubtful that uh, those seeds, those seed trays stacked around our house, when I watch these seeds try to struggle up and push through the soil, I wonder if this is really worth it, right? These things are so tiny. This seems like a lot of work and is probably not going to be very much reward. Uh, and then of course, every year I have to eat my words mostly in the form of vegetables, uh, because right now, from our 15 by 15 foot community garden plot, uh, Sarah is bringing home about 10 pounds of produce about every other day. So, you know, things like tomatoes, peppers, squash, eggplant, those are the, the more pedestrian names for them. But, uh, but you see, Sarah understands this concept of sowing and reaping, 
that we see here in Scripture. Uh, and that's what we're talking about today. Uh, our passage uh, contains another line, kind of similar to a couple weeks ago when I was here, that most people are very familiar with. Uh, one that is used not just in church settings, uh, but also just in wider uh, society, more broadly. And we might not even stop to think what it means. And it's this, a man reaps what he sows. You reap what you sow. But what does this really mean? See, when, when Paul wrote this, farming was something that everyone did. And so there was potentially a little bit more understanding. I don't know many farmers today. I think the closest I get is knowing community gardeners, right? Uh, but just to, um, just to be clear, right? Sowing, when we talk about sowing, that is the act of planting a seed, of putting a seed in the ground for it to grow. Reaping is the harvest. So, so let's take a look at this passage, and we'll start with the beginning and see what Paul is actually trying to say when he says, a man reaps what he sows. But let's read the whole thing again. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destru destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And if you remember back to our passage a couple weeks ago, again, we have this uh, distinction between the flesh and the spirit, between death and life. And remember, uh, these are in conflict with one another. So I want to start by actually suggesting two things that this passage does not mean. Two things to, that a man reaps what he sows does not actually mean. First, Paul is not saying that if you do enough good stuff, you get to go to heaven. And if you do enough bad stuff, then you go to hell, right? And why not? Because remember, this is Paul's whole point in writing this letter, is because people in the church are saying exactly that. Uh, you have to do certain good works, you have to follow specific laws and do specific things in order to come to God. And that's what makes you right with God. It gets you into heaven. It gives you eternal life by doing all the good stuff. Do good stuff, get with God. This is, this is not a Jesus vending machine thing, right? This is, this is not what he's talking about. Paul clearly calls this type of thinking a false gospel and no gospel at all. He rebukes it and reminds people that the law actually became a curse to us because no one can actually keep the whole thing. No one can keep it all. And actually, the law, in a way, is meant to show us that, that we cannot keep the whole thing and that we need a savior. And he also says, this is the way we come to God. This is back in Galatians 2.16, that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Amen. No one is being made right with God. No one is getting to heaven because they do all the good stuff. This is not what this passage means. So here's something else that you reap what you sow does not mean. It does not mean that if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. And if you do bad things, that bad things will happen to you. That's karma. And Paul here is not promoting karma. Uh, 
and I think we know this, one, because just of our own personal experience, right? Sometimes good things do happen as a result of people doing good. And sometimes bad things do happen to people that are doing bad things. But how many times do we see absolutely horrific, evil things happen to people who are doing good? And on the flip side, how many times do we see good things, seemingly great things happening to people who are doing evil, who are lying, stealing, cheating, murdering? And you even see it in Paul's personal experience, even in this passage. Just a few verses later, if you remember, he talks about how he bears the marks of Jesus. And what he is talking about here is the marks of beatings that he has taken because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So no, you reap what you sow does not mean uh, that you do good and you get good things, right? And good things happen to you. This is not karma. So what does it mean here when Paul says, you reap what you sow? Uh, let's look at it more closely. First, we see that God has the final say. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. This means that we cannot fool God. We can't avoid him. We can't cheat him. He will have the final say. Not us. Not by your own good works. Not even by this impersonal balancing force of the universe or anything like that. God. The almighty creator God. He has the final say over our lives. And to some people, this is actually terrifying. right? And it should be. Because God created all there is. He created this beautiful world, a perfect universe, and it is our sinfulness, our brokenness that is on display in each one of us. Paul calls it here our flesh that creates separation between us and God. And that separation, he says, leads to destruction. Paul says whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Destruction is what we reap, what we harvest. It is the fruit of giving in to our own flesh. It carries the idea, this word destruction carries the idea of corruption or decay, kind of like the slow decomposition of a corpse. And that's, that's kind of a vivid image, right? But isn't that how sin works? Isn't that how giving into our flesh, whether it's our addictions or our idols looks like, and I'm not just talking about substance abuse and statues, but anything we put before God, right? At first, it might seem okay. It might not smell too bad. We, it might even be a little pleasurable. But soon it starts to not deliver on its promises, and it starts to stink. And the decay is gradual, but, but after a while you realize that you're sitting in your own filth and stench that you've created for yourself. You have reaped destruction. And the principle here is that anything that is set up against a perfect and loving God inherently leads to destruction. Our God is a God of life. So to set yourself up against him is to seek out death. And just like a small seed leads to a great harvest, the seed that pleases the flesh may be small, but the harvest of destruction can be much greater. And we see this examples in our lives, right? That, that, uh, that small 
uh, side comment turns into a, a thought of resentment, right? That turns into gossip, that turns into slander, that turns into years of broken friendship, right? Or that one inappropriate thought about a coworker, right? Turns into uh, a conversation and turns into something that is causing unfaithfulness in marriage, right? A moment of anger that you might allow towards a child can turn to neglect and verbal abuse and even physical abuse, right? The seed can start small, but it grows to a greater harvest. And this happens with individuals, and I think we see that clearly, but this also happens in bigger ways in our society too. Uh, in many ways, this, this is a rough week for our nation. We, we were praying about this before uh, the service, and um, there, is not, there is not a lot of peace in our nation right now, right? But we see this, we are witnessing the sowing and reaping principle at work in our nation because the seeds of racism and division have been sown into the soil of our nation from its beginning. And what we are reaping now is a harvest of the destruction of black and brown bodies, black and brown image bearers of God because of it. The shooting of Jacob Blake and the lack of accountability for the murder of Breonna Taylor cannot be separated out from the roots of this invasive species of sin. And we have seen how deep and justifiable anger over these acts has been used by some to sow seeds of violence that have brought destruction to people's livelihoods, homes, and communities. Don't we see this to be true? Yes. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But in the same way, here's the good news, right? Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Yeah. Amen? Amen? So it might sound like uh, in, in this passage that, uh, that eternal life is the result of something we do. And I want to clear this up. And I think the key to understanding this verse actually comes in Romans 6. So in Romans 6, Paul is talking about some of the same ideas. And he's actually using some of the same agricultural language to describe them. So if you look at Romans 6, verses 22 and 23, I want you to see the parallels here with these verses, uh, with the flesh and the spirit, with death and life. Romans 6, 22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we see here that sowing to the Spirit is actually connected with the process of sanctification. It's the process of being made holy. Yes. See, it's, it's not our action of sowing to the Spirit that grants us eternal life. That is a free gift of God by faith in Jesus. But sowing to the Spirit is what should consume our lives from that first moment of faith in Jesus until we are face to face with God. It is the process that every believer should be engaged in, and the end point is eternal life. 
So here again, we see this choice. We either sow to the flesh, going back to our old ways of slavery that lead to destruction, or sow to the Spirit and growing in holiness. And we receive from the Spirit eternal life. This is why the gospel is not just a one, about a one-time conversion experience, but something that actually sustains us each and every day as we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. And I want to make sure you pay careful attention to the what and the where of the sowing. See, what you sow at the start does not necessarily have intrinsic value of good or bad. What you sow are your words, your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts, your habits, your body, your finances, your time, your talents. What is being sown is who you are. The question is, where do you sow? Do you give yourself to the flesh or to the spirit? And this comes down to everyday life, right? The choices that we make about how we live moment to moment, right? About how we use our time. What do you wake up thinking about in the morning? What do you do with your free time? What do your conversations with loved ones look like? In what ways are you interacting with your neighbors or coworkers? What does your budget say about your, about your priorities? And these are the everyday choices that determine uh, where we sow. And Paul gets at this in the next few verses. Um, and he says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those that belong to the family of believers. And so how is doing good connected with sowing to the Spirit? See, it is part of the greatest commandment. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, we may think that sowing to the Spirit simply means reading your Bible, going to church, praying more. And all of these disciplines are helpful in ways that we receive grace from God. But the main way Paul sees sowing to the Spirit here is in relationship with others. This is why the fruit of the Spirit back in chapter 5 are all connected with how we are in relationship with others. They are demonstrated in relationship with other people. And so today, how are we doing at loving others? Doing good to all. Doing good to those who are in the family of believers. And can, can we all just agree that this is not easy? Right? This is, uh, loving others well takes time, takes effort, takes more of ourselves than we are often willing to give. And you learn that when you become a parent, right? Or a spouse, or when someone is in your care that you have to care for, and you have to put their needs above your own. Loving others well is exhausting, it's tiring, and Paul knows this, he acknowledges it because he says here, let us not become weary in doing good. Are you feeling weary? Right? I'm feeling weary. This is, I'm preaching to myself right now too. I am feeling weary. I will admit that. Are you feeling weary with me? 
right? I, and I promised at the beginning that there is encouragement in this passage as well. And this is where the encouragement comes in, because for those of us who are feeling weary, Paul ends his entire letter with this, and this is how I'm going to end today. In fact, if you notice, this is, this is just kind of a, a cool uh, tidbit right here, is uh, Paul starts to write the letter himself. See, usually Paul used a scribe who he would dictate to, and the scribe would write down these letters that he would then send out to churches. But uh, take a look at verse 11. He picks up his own pen. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Yeah. Right? And so these last few verses were written by Paul himself originally. And they are a summary of the entire book of Galatians in just a few short verses. But they are also, in so many ways, the hope that we have that enables us to not grow weary in doing good. Because growing, uh, doing good, what he ends there with, reaping and sowing and doing good to all, and especially to those who are in the household of faith, this is not just something that you can separate out from the rest of the book of Galatians. It's built on the foundation of the gospel that Paul is talking about in, in the book of Galatians. Without this foundation, you cannot do good on your own. You might be able to do it for a while, but you're eventually going to grow weary. This is how we do good. This is how we live. And so here's your, here's your encouragement when you are growing weary of doing good, when the world is overwhelming, when the school system doesn't know what the plan is about how you're going back to school, when your loved one is sick, and you're bearing the burden of caring for them. Uh, when your neighbors have needs and continue to come and ask and request. When you yourself are in need and have to continue to do good. Here's the hope. First is to know and own your own brokenness. See, Paul's strongest warning in this entire letter is that the Galatians would resist teachers that tell them that they can stand before God by their own efforts. See, we cannot please God. We cannot measure up. We may try to keep the law. We can't do it. We may try to abandon the law, but then we find ourselves enslaved to another kind of slavery, which is in our flesh. So know that you are broken. You can't fix yourself. Own it and accept it. And reject this premise that we can. Resist teachers that tell you to put your hope in yourself or your hope in them. Know your brokenness. Amen. But don't stop there because Paul says next to look to the cross. Yes. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by Jesus' death on the cross that we have freedom from the destructive power of our flesh. See, what counts is not the religious rituals we perform, anything that we do on our own efforts. This is an outward show that ultimately cannot reconcile us back to God. What matters is that we are transformed from the inside out, that we are a new creation, Paul says. 
And that is not of ourselves. That is a gift of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Once we know this, the Spirit transforms us and leads us as we sow more and more into him. And then finally, remember the promise of ultimate restoration. See, I, I asked Sarah what her, what her favorite part of this growing process is, and she actually said her favorite part is the sowing of the seeds. When she plants the seeds in January, February. And she said it's because she knows that at the moment, it's just dirt and seeds, but, but she can see the harvest. She can envision what is going to come. She knows that what she is doing now is not the end. The end is going to come when everything is growing, everything is alive, everything is as it should be. And that's what's so joyful for her about sowing. It's the hope of what is to come. And just like this, we have a hope of what is to come. Scripture says we will reap a harvest if we persevere, that peace and mercy will come to all who walk in this way, that by our faith in Jesus, we are adopted children of God, members of his household. These are all parts of what Paul communicates to the Galatian church. And this is not because of anything we have done for him, but because God has loved us first, freed us from slavery to the law and to our own flesh, and by faith in Christ, we are a new creation. So, because of this, let us sow our lives to the Spirit, not growing weary of doing good, and reaping a harvest of life with Him. That is our hope. Would you just pray with me?